0: Listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. We continue our series "A Thrill of Hope" as we prepare for the celebration of the birth of the Christ. Um, The next two Sundays, our Christmas Sundays, are going to be titled, uh, The Weary World Rejoices. And we know that our world has been weary and that we could use some joy. But today, we finish this Advent series, A Thrill of Hope. Uh, We've been focusing, as you know, on the famous hymn, O Holy Night. And there's a line in it that says, His law is love and his gospel is peace. Now, this is going to sound like an exaggeration. This is going to sound like I'm overstating what I'm about to say. But trust me, it's not. If you can understand that phrase, his law is love and his gospel is peace. If you can understand that one line from the song, you will have received into your heart and life the good news of Jesus Christ. His law is love and his gospel is peace. That is the good news. That that is more than what we hope for. Now, I grew up and we talked a lot about the Great Commission. I mean, we talked a lot about the Great Commission. In fact, the, the idea that there was a great commandment came as a surprise to me kind of later in life. So when I said we talked a lot about the Great Commission, I mean, it came, it can make its way into any Sunday service, right? Go ye into all the world, discipling the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've taught you, for I'm with you uh, to the end of the age, right? Matthew 28. But, but here's the thing. I need, a, I need to preach another sermon, perhaps, on the Great Commission, but I think that uh, this is how it often heard interpreted, that that has to do with evangelism and discipleship. We're doing a pretty good job at evangelism. Look at all these Christians out there. We're not doing such a good at discipleship. Look at how all these Christians out there behave. <laughs> okay, there's some truth to that. But in another sermon, we'll address whether or not that's a good interpretation of that text. But this is it. What we're to tell them about, how we're disciple them to be is another story altogether. That is, there's another part of the message. There's another half of the sentence that needs to be said that evangelism and discipleship is to tell them about Jesus and to shape them into the image of Jesus. But what does that look like? That looks like what is known as the Great Commandment. So the, Matthew, Mark, and Luke will all have variations of this story. And they'll say something like this. Sometimes it's Jesus who gives the response. Sometimes Jesus is asking the question and someone else gives the response. But in general, it's this. How could we take the whole of the Torah, right? The law of God, the covenant of God, if we could summarize it into a singular point, right? If we could boil it down to one thing, what is the one thing God wants you to know. What is the one thing God wants you to do? What is the one thing God wants you to be? And that is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. That's it. That's the one thing. That's the great commandment. Love God and love your neighbor. So the Apostle Paul would pick up on this as well. However, Paul will rarely speak about love of God. When Paul talks about how we're supposed to relate to God, typically he uses the word faith or belief or trust. Like that's what typically, most of the time, what Paul talks about when how we should respond to God, it's with trust, it's with faith. Like we, we are faithful. We're supposed to be faithful, right? That's how he typically talks about our relationship to God. So we are loyal to God. We're faithful to God. And then we love others. So in, in Romans chapter 13, Paul's been talking about how we're to live with each other and how we're to live in the world and how, what are we supposed to do with the government? And, and he comes down to this. In chapter 13, he says, the whole law is summarized in this, to love your neighbor as yourself. So when Micah says... Like we read the text earlier, when Micah says, There is one who is coming, God's anointed one, the one who will establish God's kingdom on earth, he is described as a person of peace. Like, love is God's rule, it's God's law, it's the way we behave. Love is the means by which we get to the good news. But the good news itself is this. There is peace. God is at peace with us. The coming of God will enable us to be at peace with ourselves. To be at peace with one another. And to be at peace with the world. Not just the world like other people in the world, but literally like the world, like nature. Like It's a peaceful kingdom. This is what the Hebrew prophets imagined. This is the visions that they had. Earlier this week, one of the devotionals, morning devotionals that we had on Facebook was this passage from Isaiah. I love it. It's it's not the end of Isaiah, which we preached on a few weeks ago when we talked about peace. But early in Isaiah, Isaiah 11, it says the spirit of the Lord is on him, right? Very messianic, right? And it lists these six things that the the spirit will be like, about strength and wisdom and and peace. And then it says this. It says that he'll come with a rod from his mouth. He will destroy the unrighteous. With his breath, he'll destroy the unrighteous. (laughs) Somehow the 13-year-old version of me just reads that and laughs. Like, the Messiah is going to have some bad breath. Like, give that guy, give that guy a mint. <laughs> like, what in the world does that mean? With his breath, he's going to destroy the nations. I think partially it means like this, that the judgment of God is not like the judgment of people. It doesn't come and destroy people or things. It comes and restores people and things. And I know some of you have realized this in your own lives. You've realized that you have made some mistakes, some of them pretty seriously. But the love of God has come and has transformed you. The justice of God has come and restored you. This is why the gospel, the good news, is peace. The rule is love, his law is love, and his gospel is peace. Well, how can his gospel be peace, because what love looks like in public is justice. Cornel West says this, he says, justice is what love looks like in public, just like tenderness is what love feels like in private. I'll say that again. Justice is what love looks like in public, just like tenderness is what love feels like in private. This is the God we serve. <laughs> the, there's a gospel passage for today, which we didn't read. The gospel passage for today is Mary's song, the Magnificat, right, out of, out of Luke. In fact, the whole passage tells the story of, of uh, Mary going to visit Elizabeth. So it was in our, our call to worship um, this morning, um, or it was in the Advent reading. We've already, we heard it read (laughs) earlier today. So, you know, Mary has been revealed to her that she is going to give birth to the Messiah. So think about that for a second. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish people had been anticipating that God's promise of a coming Messiah would be realized. Well, that had to mean that a baby would be born. Right. They didn't think the Messiah was going to somehow just materialize like he got beamed down from the enterprise. Right. They knew that there would be one who would be who would raise up and become the Messiah. That meant that some baby would have to be the Messiah. So much so that some of the rabbis said in, in the birth of every child is potentially the Messiah. So that every time a baby would be born, they would celebrate because who knew? Maybe this might be the one who would would grow up and become the one that God had anointed to be the deliverer. And so Mary gets this message that she's the one. She's the one that's going to give birth to the Messiah. So she goes to Elizabeth, um, her elder, and to Zechariah. And when Elizabeth sees her, she's like, blessed are you, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And John, yet to be born, still in the womb of his mother, leaps for joy. Now, that passage, I think, fits with this Hebrews passage that we read. And it fits with this line from the song in very, very significant ways. The Hebrews passage is Jesus saying, you have prepared for me a body. It's a a quote from Psalm 40, which we read earlier today. You've prepared for me a body. You did not want sacrifice and offerings. What does it mean God didn't want sacrifice and offerings? I thought the sacrifice and offerings were something that that God set up. What is the author of Hebrews talking about? Well, the psalmist had said, You did not want sacrifice and offerings. You prepared for me a body. And then the author of Hebrews is saying, look, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is the one for whom the body was prepared. Jesus's body, of course, was actually prepared in the very body of Mary, right? Mary would give birth to that body. The prophet Jeremiah would speak of this in a similar way when he said, God's going to make a new covenant with you. It's not going to look like the old covenant. A woman encircles a man. Right? A woman is expecting to give birth to a baby boy. That's what that means. A woman encircles a man. And this woman turns out to be none other than Mary, who does have a unique relationship with God. Like, we are all the children of God. We've been adopted into the family. Right, Jesus is the only unadopted child of God. He was begotten and not made. So Mary, too, is a child of God, which is funny because she's also the mother of God. <laughs> right? She's also the one who gave birth to the Messiah, who, as we now know, turned out to be more than just an anointed king, but turned out to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, none other than God in the flesh. But what does God in the flesh look like? What God in the flesh looks like a baby. A helpless little baby. A baby that has to be cared for. A baby that has to be rocked to sleep. A baby that has to be fed. A baby that has to be changed. A baby that has to be raised. A baby that has to be taught. Taught to talk and taught to walk and taught to pray. And taught. To do. Next week, I want you all to come back next week. Next week, we're going to look, as the weary will rejoice we're going to look at the childhood of Jesus, and we're going to look at Jesus' teaching in the temple. But one of the things it says in that passage, a little preview here, is that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. So to grow in wisdom means you learn things you didn't previously know, And to grow in stature means, of course, just to get bigger. Well, that's obvious, right? Baby Jesus, right, had to grow in stature. He had to get bigger to become a man. But baby Jesus also had to grow in wisdom. He had to learn things. And some of those things he learned, he learned from his mom. And if you listen to her song, if you listen to her prayer, if you listen to her response to the revelation, about the haughty being brought down, about the powerful being judged, about the powerless being lifted up, then you see in the very life of Jesus, his work and his teaching and his prayer, living all of that out, it is his body in which that is realized. And it is now in his body, a.k.a. us, that that can be realized, right? Jesus' life and ministry is a perfect reflection of that which his mother taught him. And now we are to be the reflection of Jesus. This is why we get all of these metaphors in Scripture for the church, right? The family of God, right? If you hear me call you brother or sister, it's not because I'm trying to start a cult, Right? It it just means, I believe God is our Father and we are brothers and sisters. Or the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's another phrase that we use, right? We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Or the body of Christ. It's another one. We are the body, right? The hand can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. The eye can't say to the ear, I have no need of you. So the body of Christ. Jesus was given a body because sacrifice and offerings is not what the Lord wants. That is a gospel of peace. Look, the ancient Hebrews were just a part of the ancient Near Eastern world trying to figure life out the best they could with the revelation that they had. But things they learned as they went along. They they came to believe And practice new things as more and more was revealed to them until ultimately Christ was revealed and we see how things are supposed to be. This is what the author of Hebrews is talking about. Hebrews, as you might imagine, is written to the Hebrews. (laughs) That's why it's titled that. It's written to the Hebrews, the Hebrews who are kind of in the diaspora, they're just kind of here and there and everywhere. And it was a time where following Jesus was a bit precarious. That it could get you in trouble. And people weren't quite sure. Should we keep to this new way, this belief that Jesus is the Messiah? Or should we just resort to our old way? Should we just continue to keep the festivals and keep the calendar and and keep the sacrifices? And the author of Hebrews says, look... No sacrifice remains. Those who have tasted the heavenly gift, right, who have received the Spirit and returned to their ways, right, the ways of keeping the Jewish calendar and the eating kosher and the, uh, the animal sacrifice, there is no salvation there. I mean, in some ways, that makes perfect sense, right? You all realize there is no animal that you might kill that somehow might make you right with God, right? We don't practice animal sacrifice in Christianity, that's, that's never been our thing. But if the writer of Hebrews is correct, then that's never been a thing. Never been a thing that even God desired. So we can, we can trace this all the way through Scripture. Moses will say, it's not the circumcision, circumcision of the flesh the Lord desires, it's the circumcision of the heart. That was Moses who said that. Jeremiah says the same thing. He's quoting from Moses, but he's, he's, he's endorsing it, Right? God requires circumcision of the heart, not circumcision of the flesh. There is no death. Like, you can't die and somehow save yourself. Like, if if you wanted to live eternally with God, you can't say, well, I'm really sorry for all the bad things I did. Just crucify me, and then I'm good. Your death can't save you. And it can't save anyone else. And the death of an animal can't save you. And it can't save itself or anyone else, because sacrifice and offerings is not what the Lord desires. The Lord desires a body, and He's given a body. He gave a body to Jesus, and he lived His life. And now He's given us our bodies, and that is, then, the ultimate sacrifice that we have to give is our bodies, our very selves. The Apostle Paul will say this too in Romans 12. He's like, uh, do not uh, be transformed or do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of mind, presenting your bodies, right, as living sacrifices. So we place ourselves on the altar. Like we, we call these front areas around the table, around the stage, we call them altars. You've heard that term? Like we have altar calls right? You're coming to the altar. That's A-L-T-A-R, right? Not altar, A-L-T-E-R. Now, you might be altered at the altar, but the point of an altar, right, is because it's where sacrifice takes place. So when you come and you kneel at an altar, you're giving of yourself, right? You're giving your body. A body has been prepared, and that body is Jesus, And now the body of Christ is called to live in the good news of peace. And it is good news. It means that nonviolence is at the very heart of the way in which we will live. Again, the Hebrew prophets pointed this in all different directions, or from all different directions. They're all pointing to this point. Like, what will we do with our weapons We will beat them until they become farming utensils. So I guess we're still going to farm in heaven, (laughs) but maybe not use our swords. Or we'll use our swords, but they'll have been transformed into plows. Right? That's the message. There's, There's no one to fight in the end. We said it in the prayers of the people last week. It was something like this, that God comes and even makes our enemies into our friends. We said it more poetically. I'm I'm paraphrasing it. But God has come not just to save me, but to save you. And not just to save you, but to save the others, whoever the others may be. And it doesn't matter what race or what nationality, what gender, what orientation, what political party, right? God will even save, as I I say to the utmost, a cowboy fan, right? (laughs) Right? God's willing to save anyone. <laughs> Everyone. Right? And that's who our God is. His law is love. So what is he required of you? Love. You're not called to judge the world. In fact, he says, judge not lest you be judged. Right? You're not the judge. The world has a judge. His name is Jesus. He is righteous and he'll take care of that. You, my friends, are called to be witnesses. To bear witness to the truth. And this is the truth. That his law is love. And his gospel is peace. And that is gospel in the very heart of what the word gospel means. His good news is peace. And that's what we have. And that's what we then have to share. You know. Every week, we come to the table, we celebrate uh, communion. We receive, right, God's forgiveness. We receive God's love and mercy. But before we come to the table, we ask you to share with one another grace and peace. Like, there's an order to those things. We don't receive and then go share the grace and peace. We share the grace and peace and then come and receive, We're sharing the grace and peace because the idea there is that we are going to be at peace with one another before we come to the table and receive the very peace of God. So that as we receive that forgiveness, as we receive that acceptance, as we receive that restoration, right, then we are sent out into the world. Like every Sunday when you hear the benediction, what you should be hearing in that is, You are blessed, now go and bless. You are forgiven, now go and forgive. You have been shown mercy, now go and show mercy. You, my friends, are the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, you are to be the agents of that body in the world. So peace is the good news. And the question is, where will that peace be realized in our world? And I don't just mean in our world in some big generic sense. I mean in our world, like right here in Lakeland, or in Winterhaven, or in Bull Mary, or in Bartow, or in Auburndale, Ar- Arb- or in Plant City. Like where will peace be realized here and how will it be realized? His law is love and his gospel is peace. But that peace begins, right, with me. That peace begins with the realization of the body of Christ in Lakeland, which part of that is Oasis. And I want Oasis to be an oasis for you, spiritually and physically and emotionally, but not just because I want you to be saved. Because we have to remember, we're not just saved from sin and death. We are saved for the world. And, and that salvation for the world is realized when we embody that gospel. Amen? This is good news. This is better news maybe than what you realize. It's that you, you don't only get to be recipients of God's love and peace, you get to be agents of God's love and peace, right? You don't, get, you don't simply get to be benefactors of God's love and peace and forgiveness. You get to be agents so that other people can be beneficiaries of God's love, peace, and forgiveness. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast.